Welcome into the show, everybody. This is the Joel Klatt Show. I am Joel Klatt, and uh, thank you for joining us here. It's been a big weekend of college football, obviously. Um, you you heard me react to the college football playoff uh, and those two games. And listen, some of those other New Year's Six games were so good that I decided I want to give a full episode uh, to those four football games before I give you a national championship preview. So here's what's going to go on. Today, Wednesday, you're going to get my reaction to the New Year's Six, some thoughts on all of those teams uh, that we saw in the Orange Sugar, Cotton, and Rose and then on Thursday morning, you'll get my full uh, championship game preview as we look forward to Georgia and TCU in SoFi next Monday night. Okay, so let's get right into it uh, because, listen, it was, I thought, eye-opening at times, and I think that we learned a lot, and we'll try to learn uh, what we can expect moving forward from each one of these games and teams. Let's start with the Orange Bowl, as Tennessee was able to beat Clemson. The game was won because Clemson did not perform well in the red zone and had to settle for field goals, and then they missed those field goals, and it wasn't necessarily just red zone, but it was just kind of scoring territory. They had to settle for too many field goals. And I, for one, thought that they were going to improve offensively with Cade Klubnick at quarterback. And I thought that that was a move that would propel them into a mode where they were preparing for next season. And because it was kind of more of an end of an era for Tennessee with Hendon Hooker not playing and obviously their wide receivers not playing, I thought that this was leaning towards, hey, Clemson is going to win this game. And I was totally mistaken by that. Um, that was a really good performance from Tennessee. And, and kudos to them. Josh Heupel has done an outstanding job at Tennessee, and I don't think that they're going anywhere. All right, I don't think that this was a flash in the pan for them just because they get Hendon Hooker and some of these good wide receivers. I think that this can continue, and this is a blueprint that can continue. And so I don't think Tennessee is going to go anywhere, and this is at least a, a team and a program that makes that side of the SEC formidable. Right. It's not just Georgia. I know that Georgia beat this team, but like, you know, this is going to be difficult for Georgia year in and year out now because they've got some teams that are legitimate. And Tennessee is obviously one of those. And I thought that that performance against Clemson was indicative of, of what we can possibly expect moving forward. Again, really like that program, and what Josh Heupel was, has been able to do there. On the Clemson side, it was a bit disappointing, to be honest, because remember, I thought that this was going to be a springboard. I thought that this was going to mark the first game of next season for them. And with the momentum that they were going to have after, you know, basically, you know, you bench DJ Ungalele and Cade Klubnick goes out there, a guy that I really believe in, by the way, I thought that this was going to be the start of what be what could be considered a championship run next season. And, you know, it might turn out to be that, but they certainly didn't play well enough in crucial moments. And obviously missing field goals is, is, uh, is going to get you beat. And you play a good team, you play in, in a big environment like that in, in the Rose Bowl, and you miss field goals, you're going to get beat. So Dabo's got a little work cut out for him. Although I, I do think that he is in a, a decent position. Uh, that's a good roster, uh, right? I, I don't know if they're quite as talented as it relates to how they compare to other teams around the country as what they were three or four years ago. Having said that, you know, I, I do think that we're starting to see, because of the transfer portal and because of NIL, I do think that we're starting to see talent move around and spread out 
a little bit, a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. And and because of that, you know, maybe it doesn't affect Clemson quite as much that they aren't, at least from a talent perspective, what they were uh, four and five years ago. Uh, having said that, I do think like with Klubnik back, and I'll get to this in a little bit, like they can say he's basically an incumbent and he's getting some time now and some important time in a big stage to set them up for the next year. All right, let's move on to the Sugar Bowl and a program in Alabama that went out there and didn't look great early, but then turned it on. And that was a dominant performance. Alabama is one of the best teams in the country. Nobody disputes that. I still stand by exactly what I said last week. I do think that this is a, a, a very disappointing season for Alabama and Alabama fans. Uh, I don't think that there's any way around that based on the expectations that they had coming into the season. Now, you can say that, hey, the expectations were wrong. Well, that's fine, but they were universal. Um, obviously, the expectations are high within the program. We know that, all right? Nick Saban expects to win every game. He expects to win every championship. That's the process. That's what he wants to do is win every single day. It was not just internally, though. It wasn't just their fan base. It wasn't just you know SEC media that thought Alabama was going to be good. We all thought Alabama was going to be good. In fact, even Vegas put them as the biggest favorite to win the national championship from preseason perspective since, you know, the Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, USC team. So they fell woefully short of expectations, albeit in two outstanding games. <laughs> I mean, you and I've, and I've talked about this at length, by the way, you, you look at what it took to beat Alabama and it was significant from both LSU and from, uh, from Tennessee. And those environments were electric. The play was phenomenal and it took, plays at the end, a knuckle puck kick to beat them at Tennessee, um, a two-point conversion in LSU. And so this Alabama team uh, was clearly very good, and this was a K-State team that was totally overmatched. K-State is an overachieving program, right? They overachieved by winning the Big 12 championship. They, they overachieved most of the year. Um, I love Deuce Vaughn, by the way. I think Deuce is going to be a really good pro. But when you look at that team, they just did not have what you need to have in order to go beat Alabama or even stay with Alabama, in particular when Bama is motivated and they've got their full complement of players, which they did. I'm a big believer that these players need to do what they feel is necessary for them, their team, their future. And so I, I'm fully in support of all of those stars, including Bryce Young, going out there and making the choice to go play, and it was fun to get to watch them one last time. It really was. I wish we could see all these kids play you know, in their bowl game, but listen, I'm not going to begrudge them the opportunity to make the decision of what they think is best for their future. Now, having said that about Alabama, this, this dominant win, can it propel them? Yes, it can. Is it going to be a changing of the guard at Alabama? Yes, it absolutely is. Now, what they can rest on is that they have done this time and time again. Remember, since Nick Saban won his first title at Alabama, they have not gone three years without a title. All right, so next year is that year. All right, the, the biggest drought that they've had has been two seasons. They don't win it for two years, and then they win it in that third year. And that's what they're coming up on. So now, what have we seen? 
Well, Georgia won it last year by beating Alabama. Alabama did not get back to the playoff this year. Okay, so that's two years in a row, and it might be two straight Georgia national championships. But the precedent has been set that over cycles of recruits, Nick Saban has proven that he's one of the only guys really throughout history that can win national championships over the cycle of multiple recruiting uh, classes. He's done it with every single recruiting class that he has recruited to Alabama. It's actually staggering to, to see the success and the longevity that he's had. And we're coming up on that, right? So next year is going to be the third year in the cycle. We'll see if Alabama can come and, and, and win a championship, and they're going to have to do that with a brand-new quarterback, a brand-new leader on defense, and some new stars. Do I think they're going to be good? Yeah, they're going to be damn good. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Again, because Saban has proven that he's one of the rare, if, if not only, in particular in the modern day, one of the only guys that can win at the top end national championships over multiple cycles of recruiting classes. And so he's going to be trying to do that uh, here in the next couple of years. All right, let's move on. How about that Cotton Bowl? How about the Cotton Bowl? Tulane, congratulations on a huge win in the Cotton Bowl. I hope that that propels you towards success coming up in, in, in the next few years. Remember now, when you talk about group of five teams, it takes multiple years to get on the radar and then make a playoff push. Okay, so we've got another playoff that's a four-team invitational next year, and then we're going to start moving into this expanded role in 2024 and maybe Tulane is building something very special, like we saw at Boise State, like we saw at UCF, like we saw with Cincinnati, where they can play at the top end of college football. This is one of those landmark wins that you hope, if you're a Tulane fan, propels them into multiple years of success and maybe success at more the top end of college football. So always pay attention to that when you're when you're watching group of five teams have success, beat power five teams, in particular in these big matchups late in the season in these marquee New Year's Six Bowls. You know, what does that mean for the future? Is Tulane going to be on the radar next year? Maybe, maybe. And it does take those multiple years of cycles, right? It took that with Cincinnati. Um, it took that with UCF, although they never quite cracked that playoff push. But now you're on the radar, Tulane, so it's on you to capitalize on what you can do in the coming years, and, and I'm excited to watch that happen. On the other side of the ball, what a horrendous collapse from USC. No other way to put it. No other way to put it. I mean, what are they, up 15 with just over four minutes left? And you've got to win that game. You know, you've got to actively make plays to lose the game, and it felt like they did. Wasted a marvelous performance, again, from Caleb Williams. I mean, this is the scary part for USC. And I really believe in what Lincoln Riley is doing there. You know that, right? I think Lincoln Riley is a heck of a coach. The scary part for USC is that you've got this guy that now we're all starting to realize, in particular after winning the Heisman Trophy, after seeing him play in the back half of the season, what we're realizing is this guy is a generational talent. We might be watching Mahomes 2.0 even better than Mahomes was in college when he was at Texas Tech. This guy's ability is staggering, staggering. You don't or can't waste it. You can't waste it. You got one season left with this guy. You cannot waste Caleb Williams. And so USC's got to figure out this defense. Another game in which the USC defense gives up, what was it, over 10 yards of play? 
allergic to tackling again, like we saw in the Pac-12 championship game, that has to change, period. So Lincoln Riley is now charged with the fact that, listen, we know your offense is going to be fine. And, and you know, tell me if you've heard this song and dance before, but this one feels a little bit different. This one feels different because this talent at quarterback feels a little bit different. You cannot waste next year. So they have immediately got to go to the drawing board and they've got to evaluate what they're doing on the defensive side, period. And when you do that, okay, when, when you're a head coach and you start looking at areas of your team that, that need to be addressed, it usually happens in a, in a three-pronged evaluation. You've got to evaluate, is it the players, is it the coaches, or is it the scheme? And, and it's got to be one of the three. And if none of the three change, then you're inviting the same result. Okay? So I think that Lincoln Riley, knowing what he knows about the transfer portal, knowing what he knows about how quickly you can change your fortunes in the transfer portal, that has to be the clear path towards addressing what the defense, what the defense is or what it wasn't during the course of this season. They've got to tackle better. Uh, they've got to at least play a style of defense that would allow them to win games that are that become shootouts, right? Even in these playoff games that became shootouts, it was stops that end up kind of winning the game. What did TCU do? They got a stop on fourth down inside the five-yard line. They got a turnover inside the five-yard line. What did Georgia do on those last few possessions for Ohio State? They got stops, okay? They held them to field goals on three of their last four possessions. They, they got a stop and forced them to punt, even though they tried to fake punt and called the timeout. This is what you have to – like, you cannot win games if you're just going to let the other team score. I know that sounds so elementary, but it's true. And you can't waste this opportunity when you've got a generational talent at quarterback. So, again, the evaluation for Lincoln Riley, and I'm sure he'll do this because he's a very good coach, has got to be three-pronged. Is it the players? Is it the coaches? Or is it the scheme? Okay, and one of those three has to change. And I fully expect them to dive in and really try to address the personnel on that defensive side. Last up for the New Year's Six was uh, what was for – a, a long portion of the game, a really great game in the Rose Bowl with Penn State and Utah going back and forth. And it wasn't like that big, just like light them up shootout that we've seen in other bowl games. It was a great hard-nosed uh, back and forth, low scoring affair for the most part. And I do have to say, this is my favorite game. Um, the setting of the Rose Bowl is absolutely magical even when it is cloudy and raining and, and like 50 degrees it wasn't that bad I was there uh, I am totally partial because this is one of the environments it's really the only place all year and now I did it twice this year but that I get to take my boys and actually watch a football game as a fan and so this is why the Rose Bowl is always going to hold a near and dear spot in my heart is it is a spot where I get to take my three sons and go watch a football game, which is incredible. I've got to do it two straight years. Uh, I'll always remember these memories. The boys were fired up. Uh, we had a, a, an unbelievable time uh, at the Rose Bowl, and then we saw a great game. So Penn State's able to beat Utah. And again, for the second straight year, I think Utah fans are going to be left thinking about what might have been. Because for the second straight year, Cam Rising, who is their catalyst to all their success, 
both offensively and really as a team, goes down. And it, it happened kind of in front of us. And he goes down, and I knew right away, I was like, that does not look good. And, and right away, you could just feel the entire, not only that side of the stadium, but that side of the sideline of the field. The air just totally left Utah. And Penn State took advantage of that. And this Penn State team, by the way, that was a really good team all year long. Think about the fact that they finished, what was it, 11-2 and two now. And their only two losses are against two teams. Now, granted, both of those teams lost in the playoff, but those were phenomenal playoff games. So their only two losses are teams playing at the top end of college football. And they really took care of everybody else. And their defense played really well in every single game outside of those two, save for maybe the very first game of the season when Purdue scored 30 points on them. I mean, that program has got to be very excited about where they're going. Very excited. I know that Sean Clifford is leaving, okay? And and by the way, let me just back up and say, I was really happy for Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford had one of those magical-type seasons. Did it finish the way that everybody hoped it would? No. They wanted to win their division. They wanted to win the Big Ten and maybe go to the college football playoff, but it didn't happen. But this guy gave his heart and soul to that program. I was really happy for him that it ended in the Rose Bowl in that pic picturesque setting, right? Every... Every player that signs a letter of intent and plays in a Big Ten setting, in a, in a Big Ten program, dreams of playing and winning in the Rose Bowl, and Sean Clifford was able to do that. And again, I know that that relationship between he and the Nittany Lion fans at times has been rocky, but it feels like it's really come to a head here at the back end of this season where there's a real appreciation for each other and a real love, a genuine love for each other. And I think Nittany Lion fans would agree with me that we're all happy for Sean Clifford that he was able to go out there and be the starting quarterback for a team that won the Rose Bowl. Having said that, the best part of Penn State is their youth. So that's a scary proposition when you're looking at the rest of the Big Ten and maybe even the Big Ten East next season. That's a really good young team. Both of those two running backs are outstanding. They're able to run the ball very well against Utah, which not many teams have been able to do. Uh, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, really good players. Uh, they've got what I would consider to be a a a top three or four defensive player in the entire Big Ten coming uh, back next year. And I know he wasn't directly a starter, but Abdul Carter is going to be a sensational player. They've got to replace Joey Porter. They've been able to do that, though, in the secondary and bring in different pieces and continue to play at a high level. So this Penn State team, I think everything's looking up for them. Drew Aller looks to be their quarterback next year, very talented player. They should be able to be a little bit better offensively because I think that they'll be more two-dimensional and be able to threaten people down the field in the passing game. Um, and that's a team that I think has a lot going for them next year. And, and by the way, Michigan's going to be very good. You know Ohio State's going to be good because they're always good and they recruit at that level. And now I think Penn State's going to be even better. So in a year in which we had two teams from the same division go to the college football playoff and the other team go and win the Rose Bowl, they might be better as a division next year. And that's a scary proposition because I do think Penn State will improve. That's a young team. Last last little nugget that I would give you in this kind of this reaction before we get to the championship preview tomorrow is I would just say like, Looking at next year, I do find it fascinating that the three teams that I would say have recruited the best and have put themselves on the top echelon in college football, maybe even Michigan as well, uh, if you do this, but I'm talking about Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. 
all three of those teams moving into a new era with a new quarterback. So if you're a team with an incumbent quarterback like a Michigan or even, like I said, like a, a Clemson or some team like that, you've got to feel good about where you're headed, right? TCU going to be changing quarterbacks. This is why, you know, this this Michigan team, even in a loss, looks really good moving into next year. They killed it in the transfer portal. They've got their quarterback back. They've got all those those young players back, including Will Johnson, the corner, including their quarterback, their running back, all of those. So uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating offseason knowing that the three real powers, the owners of college football over the last five years, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, all will be changing their quarterbacks moving into next season. All right, so that'll do it for this episode. Make sure to come back tomorrow for a special edition of the Joel Klatt Show where I will be previewing that TCU-Georgia um, uh, National Championship game. Remember to rate and review us, please. Follow us all offseason. I'll be talking about college football and the draft all offseason. Be diving into subjects that are overarching and hopefully you'll find interesting with some of the uh, uh, biggest power players in college football. The commissioners will be joining the show. We'll be talking about all things college football, how to fix things that are broken and how to uh, really lean into things that are not broken. Uh, we'll be doing that all offseason. You can follow me at Joel Clatt on Twitter. You can follow the show at Joel Clatt Show on all the social medias. And we really appreciate you being a part of this show. Thank you for coming up to me and telling me how much you you enjoy the show when you see me out at those games. Um, and yeah, this has been a really fun deal. So thanks to everyone involved with the show tomorrow. National Championship Preview, TCU and Georgia. <laughs>